0: Christine, I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go I don't to know Hollywood. where we are. Oh, oh, that, makes, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, we're in Hollywood. Where else would she live?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Should I say, "Are you ready, mommy dearest"?
2: Ooh. Oh, <laughs> actually, she lived in Brentwood. Oh. Mm-hmm.
0: Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. This
2: movie spans from 1938 to 1977. We are doing Mommy Dearest. Based on Christina Crawford's best-selling book, Mommy Dearest, reveals the private side of Joan Crawford, the woman desperate to be a mother, adopting children when she was single and trying to survive in a devastating industry that swallows careers thoughtlessly. Mm. (laughs) Oh, nice. You wrote that yourself? Yeah. (laughs) I knew
0: what to copy. (laughs) (laughs) Particulous. Mommy Dearest was released in the United States on September 18, 1981. It was directed by Frank Perry who is a veteran of the Korean War. Happy Veterans Day to all veterans. He also directed David and Lisa, The Swimmer, and Diary of a Mad Housewife. And Nerd Alert, according to Wikipedia, he is the half-uncle of Katy Perry. Oh. Or I should say was. He is no longer on this plane of living with us. The (laughs) screenplay is by Frank Perry, as well as three other people so you know that's a good seat <laughs> that's a good sign <laughs> we have learned that's not a good sign so yeah Frank Perry Frank Yablans who was the president of Paramount Pictures for 5 years he oversaw the production and distribution of The Godfather part 1 and 2 and Chinatown and he also helped adapt the screenplay for North Dallas 40 uh Tracy hawk Hockner, who create created and wrote a tv series called big Seamus, little Seamus. ma any no no um and she also acted in little big man and we have robert getchell who also wrote alice doesn't live here anymore this boy's life and the client oh okay it's as you said. It's based on the 1978 memoir "Mommy Dearest" by Christina Crawford. Christina Crawford. Read it. <laughs> yeah, you have to tell us about it too. <laughs> That's true. Also, yeah, which version are you gonna read? Because there's the the original version that came out, and then there's a 20th anniversary version that came out in '98, which has. Fifty pages from the original taken out, but added an additional one hundred pages.
1: Oh, right. The original, then I don't need an extra hundred pages.
0: Um, so she, you'd read them in five minutes. I know. You're a speed reader. <laughs> That's an extra ten minutes of your day. She was Christina Crawford was adopted in 1940 by Joan Crawford. She is one of five children that was adopted by the actress. Um, In 1943, Christopher was adopted. And then in 1947, she adopted twin girls, Kathy and Cindy. In 1942, there was, uh, I guess we'll call him Christopher One. He was adopted in 1942, but then he was reclaimed by his birth mother. Um, Christina Crawford had no involvement in the making of this film. In fact, she denounced the film as grotesque and a work of fiction. She said it was highly inaccurate and nothing like the real Joan Crawford. There was no chopping of the tree, no wire hanger beating. Christina Crawford also wrote five books called Survivor, Black Widow, No Safe Place, Daughters of the Inquisition, and Scammed. Oh. It's edited by Peter E. Berger, who did Hocus Pocus. Oh. Fatal Attraction, and Coach Carter, to name a few. The music is by the legendary Henry Mancini. Huh. Henry Mancini is famous because he did the Pink Panther theme. He also Mm -hmm. wrote Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's Mm -hmm. and the Love Theme from Romeo and Juliet. Nerd Alert, he was in the United States army air forces in 1945 and helped liberate maha tausen concentration camp in austria oh thank you for
2: your service in the 70s it was all about henry mancini
0: I, in the 70s, in the late 90s, I had Henry Mancini's greatest hits. That's why I was like, Henry Mancini? I didn't even even mention Peter Gunn because I'm like, nobody's going to know the the theme for that. Man, Pink Panther theme, Moon River. I'm going to have Moon River stuck in my head all weekend now. Director of photography is Paul Lohman. He also did Coffee. Nashville and High Anxiety. Just... High Anxiety. The exploitation film, a classic by Robert Altman and a parody film by Mel Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. just This guy had a career all over the place. I thought that was great. The cast starring as Joan Crawford, Faye Dunaway. Mm. Faye Dunaway, we saw her in Chinatown, Network... Mm -hmm. She was also in Bonnie and Clyde, Three Days of the Condor. From 1967 to 1981, she, if you look at the movie she was in, she was in big-time classic movies. Nerd Alert. And many men were in her. Oh, my gosh. Faye <laughs> Dunaway? Faye Dunaway getting it done in Hollywood? Being around town. This is a sex-positive podcast, Ma. Are you putting shame on Dunway? No. No, no she just stated a fact. You were saying what she was in. I was saying what was in her. I, it just it seemed like an easy segue. I thought that this was interesting that, did you know, in real life, we all know that it's Lucille LeSueur is Joan Crawford's real name, but did you know that it's Lucille Faye LeSueur? <gasps> no. F-A-Y, wow. and then that's Faye weird. Dunaway with an E plays her. Yeah, that's weird. Mm, neither, neither. Well, I'm sure
1: you all have this in her in Joan Crawford's book, where she wrote, of all the actresses, to me, only Faye Dunaway has the talent and the class and the courage it takes to make a real star. And that was before she... Oh, wow. Before oh. she was set to
2: play her. That was before the book was out. Those were some nice words.
0: I mean, she nailed it. I mean, yeah. (laughs) That's a little bit. Maybe she's a little too good to play me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Diana Scarvid as Christina Crawford, the adult. She was in Inside Move, Silkwood, and What Lies Beneath. And Mara Hobel or Mara Boyd as little Christina Crawford. She was also in Roseanne, The Hand, Personal Velocity, Steve Forrest as Greg Savitt. He was in The Longest Day, North mm-hmm. Dallas Forty, The SWAT TV show, and in honor of Veterans Day, he is a veteran. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge in World War Two. Wow, II. and he survived. Well done. Mm-hmm. Howard De DeSil- Silva as Louis B. Mayer. He was in M. Uh They Live by Night and the Blue Dahlia. We have Rutanya Ada as Carol Ann. She was in The Deer Hunter, Rocky 2 and When a Stranger Calls. Harry Goes as Alfred Steele. He was in Marathon Man. He's also the voice of Hank in C-Lab 2021. And I remember seeing him a lot on my TV and I didn't know it was him because he was the Big Apple in the Fruit of the Loom underwear commercials of the 70s and 80s. Oh, my gosh. And wow. it was the apple. And finally, we have Jocelyn Brando as Barbara Bennett. Is that and Marlon yeah. Brando's daughter? No, older sister. Oh, okay. That makes more sense for the time. And though that's the cast. Well, I'm going to
2: set the table. The movie starts with an alarm ringing at 4 a.m. and a white gloved hand shuts it off. She's in a huge bed all alone with straps all over her face. The first five minutes of the film have no dialogue, so we watch her morning routine, and call, including the Paul Newman.
0: It is <laughs> the, Paul, the Paul Newman. Except she it, took it up a notch. She did. Was that rubbing alcohol? No, I have what it is later. Okay, okay. It,
2: uh, it is obvious she has OCD when it comes to cleaning. The next scene, she is at an orphanage giving out Christmas presents and decides she wants to adopt, but the agencies turn her down. So her rich lawyer boyfriend buy her a baby. What could go wrong? Could go wrong. What
0: could go wrong? A lot. Maybe. Allegedly. We don't know.
2: (laughs) So we are to POC, and I saw a few when we got to
0: the um, later parts of the movie. Oh, I just had one. I just had the black man who was the cue car holder on the soap opera. Oh, well, there were a couple in the hospital. Oh, I mean... Nobody nope. said anything. No lines. No. The cue tough. card guy got chastised for holding the cue card too low, but. That was so sick.
2: Oh, my God. That was so sick. Okay. So power of cast. I got enough.
0: All right.
1: Well, Christine You didn't it. I mean, we talked about ageism, but I felt like that still played a little bit to do with it. We talked about that a lot last yeah, week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm sure we'll circle back into that.
1: And then I meant to get into a whole um I wanted to look into uh abuse in a with adoption cases, mm-hmm. but I didn't end up doing the research, but I have gone down a couple TikTok. Yeah, time travels in my time of just how harmful adoption can be.
0: Right. Yes. I have, uh, Christina's birthday party had a lot of white faces that were playing exotic roles. Like, you know, mm. there was the, the guy that was juggling the knives and it just seems like there was a lot that we could probably go into, but you know, that was just mm-hmm. like the sadness of the times of like, oh, it's a, it's our own private circus. And like, you know, the whole exoticism that goes in with that. So I was kinda wanting to do what Teeny was thinking of with the adoption because um remember the there was that kid, the Hart, he was the free hugs kid. He had the sign. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So he was he and his black siblings were adopted by two white women and they were murdered when she drove them over a cliff. Um and it's a really sad story and there's so much into it, but just the gist of it is that these five black adopted kids. Um, they, I think the adoptions happened in Texas, and in Texas, they there's this big problem that they have with they fast-forward adoptions because Devante's family was trying to get him back.
2: Oh.
0: It's it's really sad. Like they, you know, people make it out like, oh, they, we took the kids away, and cast plays into that a lot. Because his mother was addicted to cocaine and she had a sister that wanted to take the kid in and took the kid in. And when the sister was at work, the mother, the woman that they took the kids from, she's getting trying to get her life back together. She's watching the kids and they're like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And just made it really hard and preventative. It was just like you do one thing. Nope, that's it. You get your kids taken away. And then they give them to this, like, oh, yeah, we're this, like, white couple. Here here we are. We want to, you know, save the world. And look at how great we are. Oh, I'm unhappy. I'm killing everyone. And it's Uh like they have family that wanted to take them in. Uh But they couldn't. And they weren't even told about their deaths until, like, I recommend looking it up. But that was super sad. And then I got into this other thing that I was like, I didn't even finish reading this article because I just got so goddamn angry. So, as far as caste is concerned, uh, of course, not of course, but as you would assume, um, if you've been listening to this podcast, you would assume that black youth are overrepresented in foster care as far as the proportion of the population of black kids in America versus the population of black kids in foster care is higher. That all being said... 44% of kids in foster care are white. So what I'm about to say, like we can be like, oh, it disproportionately affects, based on the population, black kids, but it also affects a lot of white children. So this is something that I don't think a lot of people know about, because I didn't. I stumbled upon an article in the Marshall Project by Eli Hager and Joseph Shapiro. So most foster kids who age out of the system have no idea that state agencies are responsible state agencies that are responsible for protecting them have been taking their money for years. The first example in this article was this kid, his mother died when he was a child and he was owed $700 a month in federal survivor benefits because of her social security benefits or contributions that she made through her paycheck. When she was alive, we all get those taken out of us or out of our paycheck, the social security benefits and deductions. She died when he was little He was owed that money, but foster care agencies go through case files to find kids who are entitled to benefits. They apply to the social security office to become each child's financial representative, which Uh is all legal because these kids are in foster Uh care. So they don't really have anyone. And they're like, yeah, here we are. Once it's approved, the agencies take their money without notifying the children, their loved ones, or their lawyers. Wow. Ten state foster agencies hire for-profit companies to obtain millions of dollars in social security benefits, and it's a major line of business for these companies. Wow, wow! Well, these companies are making money off of foster children's money that they are entitled to that they don't even know about. This also includes children whose parents died serving the country. Yeah, veterans' kids. And they're in foster care, and you're taking their money. $165 million was stolen in 2018. Damn. Damn. Oh, wow. Money that's supposed to go to these kids. We don't have anybody to look out for them. Already in a system that you know is fucked up. And, I, and the thing is, is that people will point to the foster care system because depending on your state, it's either run by the state or it's run by the county at a county level. And you know that people are in there, people who don't like big government and always talk about big government mm-hmm. and are always like, oh, see, this is why big government, this is why the government can't do this. This is why we need to privatize all of this. And it's the privatization that has gone for these companies, the the only way these companies make money is by finding these kids to take their money. Like it's it's like the devil version of Robin Hood. Just stealing from the poor to just give to the rich. I guess that's like capitalism? <laughs> Because when I say it out loud (coughs) but so when did all this bullshit start happening With like when did the states start turning for profit to for profit companies to start mine foster care children's cash that would be the Reagan era so yeah in the 80s they were like hey hey we can take care of this for you and they made it up you know how they do they're just good at the spin and so everybody's like yeah this is great this is great so if you happen to be living listening to this and you know anyone that's a foster kid or know any like tell them to get online and see like what money that they are owed if they are owed any money because people a lot 165 million in 2018 Wow just taken from these kids and I couldn't finish the article again it's on uh, the Marshall Project article. Like you can Google it because they have the kids and I couldn't, I couldn't handle reading about these. Cause they have nothing. they this kid he comes out of foster care like 16 ages out. Right. And then he's trying to like scrape together to, you know, go to college and stuff. And and you know, it's just uh, uh the trauma of all of that of being in foster care, not having the stability of that kind of life and then you're trying to, you know what the right thing to do is. So you want to go to college and get an education, but you don't have any money, nothing to you. And then you find out, yeah, somebody $700 a month was just taken from you and you had wow. no idea about it. And that's that's just the grift that they're running. So congratulations, U.S. Nice job. And like I pointed out for Cass, because yeah, disproportionate black youth, but the majority this is happening to white children as well. And mostly white children, if you go based on who's in foster care and the percentages of it and stuff. So it's it's affecting all kids. And but I think that the assumption is like, oh, it's poor uh-huh. kids and, and that kind of thing. And that kind of goes into caste because uh-huh. like you you know, you can be white and stuff, but if you're if you're white and poor and that's where, that's where the cast gets built on, because it's like, well, I'm white and poor, but at least I'm mm-hmm. not brown or black. At least I'm white. Yeah, but you're still getting stolen from, uh-huh. just yeah. like brown and black people.
2: Wow. Okay, so we are to nerd alerts. I read that... When she first named Christina, she named her Joan Jr.
0: Yeah. Oh, weird. I don't know when
2: she changed it to Christina.
0: I read quickly. She quickly changed it.
2: But then one of the little twins, I thought, was named Christina as well.
0: one mm. right, are you going
1: to get into why eventually their twins weren't in it? Oh, I don't.
0: I don't know. know. I no. You can go ahead.
1: I mean, what I don't you know. I left all the. No, I don't know. Oh,
0: I mean, I kind of have an idea an inkling of it, but okay.
1: you can save it since we're at nerd alerts. Okay. And now we
0: are to nerd alerts. All right. So September. This came out September 1981. Oh my gosh, guys! So many low key, very interesting things happened. I had to cut myself off because this was getting way too long. About 1981. So first off, it's September 81. Ma, where am I? You're in Alexandria, Virginia. You're on Burway Court. Ah, in 1981.
2: No. No, no you're in Zweibrucken. Oh, we're in the, um, the apartments. We had to move because Hansi got his girlfriend pregnant. They needed our apartment at the Frenzels. So we had to move to a, um, a top apartment in what the uh americans had taken over as a housing building it but we weren't it was it was up where we had the rafters
0: and stuff and oh, so it wasn't like the as, maids quarters in yeah but again like yeah. in bad croix not yeah so and were these the steps that i infamously fell down Fell
2: down yeah ah. yes
0: Yeah. So we were up there.
2: They couldn't designate it as officer housing because of the ceilings that were all vaulted and stuff. You could hit your head a lot. So we were able to rent it from the people who owned it. But we had Americans living under us, under us, stall. (laughs) We were in the maids quarters, but (laughs) they were under us. Yeah.
0: Okay, so 1981, Ronald Reagan is sworn in as the 40th yes, president of the United was. States. Oh, so so this is about the time when foster children's money starts getting stolen from them. Wow. That's good. Which is why we do
2: not call it Reagan Airport. We call
0: it National, National Airport DCA. Uh, Iran Iran releases 52 wow. Americans who were held for 444 days. They're like, oh, how interesting. I do have a tasty about
2: that. Okay. So, like, I think maybe Poppy had an inkling that something was going to happen, and so we were. I was supposed to go with some other wives to the Asta Pots and Pans Factory. And what Poppy called. Me. night on the town. It, it was a day trip, and Poppy called me and said, "Don't go." I I want you to stay home today.
0: And the, and in the in the family when Poppy tells you to do something and he has that tone of voice, you don't have to, you don't have time to answer any questions. You just have to do what he says.
2: And so I called my friend who had arranged it and she said, "You're going to listen to him?" And I said, "I am." He asked me to do it. You know, I have a a baby. I'm going to do it. Now, so after it happened, all of the wives who went were so mad at their husbands <laughs> that they didn't say, Hey, you know, something can happen,
0: can pop off here. So just stay where you stay put. They don't But <laughs> see, the thing is with Poppy is that he, he put money in to build up that equity. He's always built that equity. He hasn't, he doesn't like abuse it. So that's why when you get that total voice, he says something you're like, okay, I will, I am asking no questions. Cause he hasn't, he doesn't pull that on some bullshit. That's important.
2: I did go to the Asta Pots and Pans Factory later. Later? And, um, <laughs> those are the three pots that you always see at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I oh, still have them. I still have them. Are it, those it, the you, blue pots? You will inherit. Not the blue ones. The uh, the ones that oh, uh, the, the corn pudding are in. Yeah. Yeah. Green bean casserole Ooh. are in. Those. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: yeah. They're very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So you will inherit.
0: Mm. Um, In March... Reagan,
1: I almost said I can't wait, and that wasn't the right thing.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: I I totally understood. Like, I don't take offense. You know, I get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In March, uh, Reagan was shot by John Hinckley, who was trying to impress Jodie Foster
2: (laughs) because of Taxi Driver,
0: which we have done
2: on this podcast.
0: The first DeLorean rolls off the production line in Ireland. That's the Back to the Future card. In January, the widow of China's former leader, Mao Zedong, is sentenced to death in the People's Republic of China, and later it's commuted to a life imprisonment. And then in April, because she was, she was talking, like, because Mao was dead, and she was like, yo, you know, on that Mao tip. And they were like, no, you're talking too much, lady. You're going to get sentenced to death. And then they were like, all right, fine. It's life imprisonment. And then in April, Coca Cola bottling plant opened in China. The first one that opened in communist
1: China. China. We tasted Coca Cola from there.
0: We did. It's, it's, it's just probably a li- gross. <laughs> it's just a little interesting that the woman who was like all about the communist party was like, I don't like the way that this is going. And then you're like, you're going to get killed. <laughs> no, we need to shut you up. Coca Cola. Come on. In. <laughs> <laughs> you get a Coca Cola. <laughs> You yeah, get a Coca-Cola. It's crazy. Someone tried to kill the Pope? That was a thing? Oh, yes. Yeah. The CDC first reports the first recognized cases of AIDS in the United States. 81, yeah. Mm-hmm. 81. Yeah, mm-hmm. so just a, a lot of time for Reagan to ignore that. Just say no. <laughs> um and then this is kind of like into into Britain, um I didn't really know about this, but there's this, the Brixton Uprising. It happened in Brixton, a section of London and local African, the local African Caribbean community. At that time in 1981, it had been hit hard by unemployment, poor housing, higher than average crime rate. Does this uh, sound familiar to anyone? No. So in 1978, Margaret Thatcher. <sighs> Iron lady. Yeah. She said that the UK might become rather swamped by people of another culture. Mm -hmm. Oh, Margaret, you mean the people from the places y'all went to, colonialized, indoctrinated into believing that the highest form of civilization is British, told them they are now under British rule, under British... You are now a subject of the Queen. And now you are surprised when they start moving to the capital of Britain for a piece of what you have sold to them as being the most superior civility. Yes,
2: but they were supposed to stay in their own places. They weren't supposed to come to
0: London. It's like, oh, what are, you? You can't have it both ways. So, in January of 1981, 13 black youths were killed in a fire that happened during a house party in New Cross. And authorities said that it was accidental, but the public there was like, nah, did y'all even investigate? I mean, so. Then they also had what was called uh sus laws and that was tell me if this sounds familiar where the police could search and arrest members of the public when they believe they're acting suspiciously not necessarily committing a crime mm-hmm. you know no, not great right. yeah you know, just it sounds a little like stop and frisk it's, and who <laughs> who's acting suspiciously and what does that mean exactly yeah, and, oh, we're being swapped by the, another culture. So they had special a special patrol group, and they formed that because the crime rate was getting out of control because... You know, basically because the economy was tanking and stuff. And, like, you know, then people were like, oh, we can't afford anything. And then people were blaming the people that didn't look like them. It's like, well, the problem is obviously these people. It's always them. Right. So this special patrol group, within five days, 943 people were stopped and searched. Oh, my God. And they arrested 82 people. So that's all going on in 81. Then you have Michael Bailey, who is a black youth, he was stabbed. And it was this thing where he where police officers came across him, he was running away from a group of people, and they saw that he was stabbed. And so because of all of the distrust, because I don't know, maybe because you stopped 982 people, that when the people call see like, oh, there's this black kid, and he got stabbed. And the, so then the bystanders were trying to help him, and then the police came, and they're like, what's going on? And they're like, he was stabbed. So then the police are like, oh, we're the police. We can take care of this faster. So then the police come, and they put him in the, the police thing, you know, the police car. But then other, the people who are, like, looking on, like, yo, the police are arresting this guy, his— it's getting stabbed what the hell so it's all this distrust in the community because the police show up and the, and they're like obviously they're up to no good and it's nefarious even though the police say that they were trying to help and get him uh where he needed to be i think eventually he ended up succumbing to his injury so then people were pissed because they were like the police like look what the police did you know because this, that's what happens when there's this, the, the distrust in the community. So, and it wasn't just black people who were pissed, you know, because there were, were allies that were out there too, like, what the fuck? And so there was a ton of frustration. And all that frustration boiled up, and that's when you get the Brixton uprising. And so then Thatcher was like, no, unemployment, racism, nah, that's not what was behind the the uprising and she said quote nothing but nothing justifies what happened that gaslighting motherfucker <laughs> so there's like a lot of um i didn't really know that much about this but you know that song electric avenue you got to go down to electric avenue that's kind of a, alludes to the brixton uprising and then the clash the only band that ever matters is they have a song on london calling called the guns of brixton which is about that and i've been meaning to watch this but director steve mcqueen he has a series called small acts and there's an episode that's about the brixton riots and that's on amazon
2: Mm -hmm. i had not heard until today of the brixton riots
0: yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, where we get what we got from, you know? Like, yeah, they're yeah. going to have a whole bunch of shittiness and, and there's, there's more to it because then they had this whole inquiry into it and a report comes out. It was like, yeah, I don't know. And then much like in America. And then in the in the last 20 years like another report has come out be like no there was institutional racism amongst the police like there's they, you know, all the stuff that people of color and the african yeah. Com- caribbean community in london and brixton is well aware of is like oh, y'all gaslighting us and they're like no it turns out everything they said was correct yes this is what we did so there's just so many more things we got to do another movie from 1981 because there was just so many wild interesting things that happened but finally to round it out uh lady diana spencer married one prince charles in 1981
2: Mm -hmm. she said it was the saddest day of her life well
0: second maybe
2: (laughs) Of and, her life.
0: When you've taken the, the <laughs> totality. Depending on who you ask. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the movies. So top five movies. Number five was Stripes. Number four, Arthur. Number three, Superman 2. Number two was On Golden Pond. And the number one film was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hmm. It could oh, also be... Film. It's also funny because I just copied this from a film that we did. Um, That was also in 1981. <laughs> And it's funny that I didn't – they're so lucky that, that uh, Chariots of Fire came out before the Brixton riots happened. Because uh, if you – y'all can go back and li- – I was on one on that episode. I had no love for that. Um, so Oscars. Yeah, Reds, Raiders of the Lost Ark, On Golden Pond, Atlantic City, and the Best Picture of the Year produced – by one, Dodi and Mohammed Fayed, chariots of fire.
2: I oh. didn't realize he produced that. Yeah, no. I
0: thought- you just said that you watched all of the Crown season
2: five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: and we mentioned it in it. I mean, we 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 kind of just. I mean we mentioned it, but then we like moved on because I I really had yeah. to tear into the colonizers in that episode. <clears throat>
2: yeah, okay, huh be- well, this is why in the crown, um his father is saying all you do is produce duds. so mm. and truth be told,
0: cheers, of fire was a dud so but it mm. went best- it won best picture because uh, you know, the people who did the voting, they love to look at us. we it let was. a Jew win. We, we represent we allowed us? allowed that Britain? to happen. Only in Britain can this happen. Hmm, well done. Well done. Teeny, any nerd alerts? Not for me. Not
2: for me either. So we are two negative reheatables. Mm. I mean, I don't care what um, decade it is. Those eyebrows were just I know. too so bad. Much. But they
0: weren't even... Like, that was a, that was, it was a caricature because if you look, Joan Crawford had like eyebrows were kind of her thing, but they were not as thick as right Faye Dunaway. Right,
2: right. It was a lot. Um, we're going to get into it because um, it, it, okay, we'll get into it. Um, making the children call her mommy dearest because if they would just say mommy she would correct them oh, no. no it's mommy, mommy dearest. dearest which is just uh, those swim caps when we went to the heartlines to swim because they had they they made their own out, outside pool these were our rich the friends of our parents who were rich and then like i was going to uh, the, my my siblings and i were going to actually inherit a lot of money but because i dared to marry a person of, of a different race uh that got squashed those swim caps we had to wear them because the hair would mess with the filter but oh man they oh, were awful life? um they would oh they would cut you under your chin if if you had a substantial chin and oh they were horrible i hated those swim caps that was the reason although also if you colored your hair, the,
0: um, would it make your hair turn green?
2: It never made my hair turn green, but I wore a swim cap. But if you colored your hair, it would change the color and texture of your hair. So we always had to wear swim caps there. Um, and of course, you know, verbal and physical abuse of the negatives.
1: I wrote some kind of scene so uncomfortable and I don't know. I can't tell what the first word is. So oh,
0: no, it's teeny style. I'm sure there,
1: there were multiple scenes like that. There though. were multiple scenes. The eyebrows.
2: The outfits that <laughs> the kids wore. And the mommy daughter dress.
0: Yeah. Oh. The, thank you, Ma. <laughs>
2: never. I never did that. Yeah. The dolls. I don't know;
1: those dolls she had were kind of creepy. Um, it's spanking. You you a doll girl? Did you? I a doll girl? Yeah. Did you have dolls? No. I mean, I didn't either. I had like one American Girl doll,
0: and I have—I mean, I have Barbies. Well, Barbies. I had I had two Barbies, and my brother played with them more than I did.
2: He He really
0: liked the high-heeled boots. He liked their legs. And then I had a Cabbage Patch Kid, but the only doll I had, and I forget what episode, but we've talked about it, was uh, Captain Bush. So (laughs) Captain Captain
2: Bush Bush was a baby doll (laughs) with a cloth body, but the plastic head and arms and legs. Naked, Captain Bush never had any clothes on.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Well, these seem like
1: those
0: like porcelain dolls, which are yeah, yeah. For kids to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because Captain Bush's only thing was when I would get so angry, I would just take Captain Bush out from under the downstairs. <laughs> Uh, sink and just beat the shit out of Captain Bush. <laughs> like once a month. Yeah. And then like I would get it all out and then I would throw Captain Bush back in there and then I was fine. So I don't yeah. But I always thought if a child
2: psychologist ever came in when you were doing that, that they would take you away from me.
0: Y- yeah. But probably. It I, I kind of definitely be interviewed. Yeah. But then you 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 just kind of want because i remember it but it was always just this anger that would just come out of nowhere and i just needed to get it out and that was just something that i could beat the shit out of and it and i knew like at that young age like i wasn't gonna tear up my toys or tear up anything i could just get all of my yeah i could just get all of my frustration out in it and then i was done it's it's like those when there's the little kids and they say stuff about like oh that was when i got was on fire and I died you know like I feel like it was a a past life kind of like anger and like like Eckhart Tolle would say like a pain body and it just needed to get out and then I was fine yeah you were I'm (laughs) like it it sounds bizarre as shit but I'm like I worked
2: (laughs) and I feel like the name Captain Bush came from <clears throat> my frustration whenever i would try to get medical appointments for you guys at fort Belvoir, i would have to say captain bush because you know it wouldn't happen with me it had to be through the military member and i would always get frustrated because i'd have to wait forever and i'd keep saying for captain bush for captain bush i felt like that's where the yeah. name came from and the frustration with that name
0: yeah it didn't so have it was anything
2: fault.
0: To, but it didn't have, like the anger and stuff wasn't... It was never, like, at my parents. It was never at my brothers, never at anybody in the family. It was just this weird feeling. Like, it would just come up, and I was just like, you gotta get this out. Just beat the shit out of this. And then, go." Oh. And, like, now I just run in the morning, so... I'm oh fine. Oh, my. Oh, I sound like good, crazy.
1: We, uh, we do. Yeah. A little. Um, and then my final negative, which... I was spanked as a kid, but spanking is just not a good reheatable these days, I feel like.
0: Well, I, I
1: don't know. I, I don't do, know.
0: But it is. I don't know. Of, it just
1: feels weird to hit a kid. I don't know. I you know because
0: they're little people, but Why would I would say, that? I, I think I don't, uh, yeah, I just know that. Uh, yeah, I guess you can't. But yeah, it gets the
2: results you want. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I remember one time I had to spank Adam.
0: <laughs> one time.
2: It was in Kansas. It might have been when he was peeing on other people's houses. <laughs> and so. You know the saying it hurts me more than it hurts you but you don't really believe it. Yeah. But I re- it was all of the it was all of the buildup of you have to pull your pants down and I mean it wasn't even yeah it was weird. I remember the time it's
1: that it's just weird. I, it's just a weird thing to do. It is. I think it's a it weird thing weird. to do and people just do it because
2: people have always done it. Right. And you you're reacting in what he- what you yeah. went through,
1: like it- we don't hit dogs. If it was okay, then it would be acceptable. You hit your dog. Uh-huh. It's and true. And if anybody hit their dog, no, you'd
2: be mad at them. Right. It's true. It's just controlling that that moment of anger when you're. God damn
0: it! How many times do I have to tell you this? Yeah. Or also, couldn't it be like? How do I say it? Like he was peeing on houses, and that's something that he could get in trouble with with like the MPs with like cops. Mm -hmm. And he's a he's Mm -hmm. a little brown boy. And so that's life or death, you know? And so if I'm not justifying it, but I I could see how somebody could, in certain situations when they feared that the outcome could be the death of their child and they want to teach a life or death lesson.
2: Yeah, I get it but i just snacks. think it's those are but, different yeah.
0: ways but yeah just have the conversation tell them look you could get murdered by
1: someone if you do that yeah
0: yeah but i don't i don't, re- know. I don't I remember that i do remember like i don't slam doors and there's a reason why i don't slam doors yeah so but i there just are... think there's different ways yeah yeah you're right <laughs> but hey you spank your kids i'm not
1: gonna agree with well, that. Uh, that's I don't right. so have so, any to
0: spank. Yeah, so. I removed
1: myself from that.
0: Situation. I just think it's kind
1: of fucking weird that all these other things in the world, and then we're like, yeah, spanking kids is okay though. Like what? Yeah. And then th- you have to like make kids like take their clothes off to get spanked. Like that's also fucking weird. Yeah. yeah I just think it's the, strange. The like, if your your you, head I'm head sorry. Down. If you want that's to have weird. a kid, then be prepared to have a tough conversation and yeah. figure out how to control your anger. You're
2: right. You're right. You're right. And
0: plus, I was always the asshole kid that would be like, "That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt." Uh. Oh, you make it hurt. Like you want it to be over. I'm not Denzel Washington in Glory with the one tear coming down. Oh, I'm, I am. I'm, That's I'm me. crying already. Like, no. oh, i have already hurt. You've done. I've learned my lesson. No fear. Oh no, I was showing all the fear. <laughs> <laughs> so you were little
2: Christina. <gasps>
0: No, I wasn't.
1: Well, yeah, Christina and I were leaving the dinner table and she wanted to eat. I thought that was amazing. She sat there for so long, and when she, she left that put... steak on the bedside table,
2: she would get that look in her eyes, mm-hmm. and I would go, I'm scared.
0: <laughs> I... I'm
2: scared of you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are those okay, so... all of your negative reheatables? Mm-hmm. All right. So right off the bat, we have all the running of the faucet for Joan's entire morning thing. It's That is a complete, that's a nightmare reheatable in 2022. Especially, well, if she's in California. Exactly. She was in California. Then I saw, well, at first I thought it was two shower heads. And then it was like, no, no. Wait yeah. for Steve oh, to show up. Oh, I loved it three shower heads amazing in 1940 whatever i'm looking at that though through 2022 like what's the water situation thing of just this bitch this is why we find ourselves where we do okay how much of about lucille the did the public know in 1981? Ma, you're kind of the only one that can really tell us about this. because In 19-what?
2: You were in 1941! <laughs> no, 1981! Oh. Like, when this okay. movie came out... You did say
0: 1941. I, and she my did. bad. Thank you, would know you Christine. My bad. Just because you were a little history scholar as a little child. Because, like, did they know about how much abuse that Joan Crawford went through as Lucille Lesour? No, they didn't do anything with her past. Well, I, they did. They did. A touch. Did, did, the, did, the, did the people in 1981 know about the abortions that she was forced to have by the studios? And that maybe that's one of the reasons why she couldn't conceive children on her own? Because... Like that, like that's what studios did back in the day. Oh yeah, so many, so many of the most famous actresses had abortions, either by their own, like yeah, this is what I want to do, or were forced by the right. studio to right. terminate pregnancies. Um, because th- that's like a major negative reheatable about this film, and I think I have a quote later on from uh, Gene Siskel about it. Is because they never show. The background of like why like they just so they just show portray Joan Crawford as being obsessive compulsive about cleaning and all that but then when you kind of learn about her abuse remember how her the man that she thought was her father she found out when she was like 11 that he wasn't her father and then he started <laughs> abusing her and then she was like I'm going I'm definitely gonna like get out because she was from San Antonio she's like I'm gonna get out of here there's a lot of, like, there's just a lot of abuse that she went through. And then she was just determined to make it in Hollywood. And she basically had to claw her way to where she mm-hmm. was. So it kind of makes sense from what I've seen with um, people who have childhood traumas and stuff because they can't control anything. It makes sense that she would be somebody who was obsessive compulsive especially mm-hmm. about cleaning especially mm-hmm. about con- having control issues you know like that makes sense because her childhood she had no control and people would take advantage mm-hmm. of her mm-hmm. and hurt her so it, it it kind of goes that that's how she was and then that she was mad competitive because that's how she was able to survive and make it out of the situation that's how she became Joan Crawford remember mm-hmm. they hated her name Lucille Lucille Leceur because it sounded like a sewer and that the studio had a contest name our star. Oh yeah. And then they were like, you're now Joan Crawford. And she didn't even want to be Joan Crawford. She wanted to be Joanne Crawford. Uh And so then she was Joan Crawford. And so her people called her like Billy, which was a, somehow a childhood nickname like there's just so much of that woman i think that's why she's fascinating but this movie doesn't tap in at all right to any of yeah. that to any thing. of the background stuff yeah um also like teeny how you alluded to earlier we never see the twins in this film yeah, yeah. i thought that was weird well there was a loss like the twins were basically wanted nothing to, when the book came out, they were like, right. I don't know, like they were mad. They were like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then the twins were also in the will. And That's what I wondered. But they didn't, but it, it said that she had a $2 million estate, which isn't nothing, but it's also not a ton of money, <laughs> for you money. know, for, I mean, it's, it's, it's still like, I, I would not. You know, poo-poo two million dollars by any means, but you kind of think at least, and then maybe that could be like twenty, twenty-two eyes of being like, oh, it doesn't seem like that much money, but they got, they got a little bit. I think they maybe got like fifty k each, the twins in in seventy-seven. Yeah. Damn.
2: Yeah. From okay. All- Damn, that's
0: not much. So I I don't know. It just seems like that was really interesting. We never see why Christopher too was strapped to the bed. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I read somewhere that it was because he had sleepwalking issues, but we never see that in the movie. And I think that's a really bad read. Like this movie is basically showing all of the Joan Crawford in all of her worst negative light, but never giving any sort of like, oh, but here's kind of can something that can maybe. Ex- Explain it, not condemn it, not say that it's okay, but give a oh, this is what's going on. Well, twenty thousand dollars in 1977
2: is about 98,353,080 today. 98 million doesn't make sense. 98,000, thousand, 98, yeah. almost 100,000, almost 100,000, not almost a million.
0: I'm sorry. All right. It's, yeah, I mean, the answer to all of our questions is probably money, so it's probably money. Yo, Joan's running for Look, Joan Crawford was a dancer, and by all accounts, she was very much in tune with her body. Um, she was a, said to be a bisexual woman. She had many affairs with many people. And you're going to tell me that that's how Joan Crawford ran? That was and the her running. sweat behind the knees? What was the sweat behind the knees? I got sweat behind my knees. That's a thing. Yeah, but you sweat. I mean, yeah. you're a sweater. I'm a sweater. I'm sweating right now behind the knees. But, man, Faye Dunaway did Joan Crawford dirty with that. Teeny, did you see her running? Yeah. A lot I, of wasted movement. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny, though. It was funny. Because I, I was just like, man, they, they did that women's. This has become a comedy. It is. Yeah. It's a comedy. comedy. It is called comedy. Um, yo, there was so much carpet everywhere. Mm -hmm. Jones in her house, all carpet. In Mm -hmm. LB's office, it was all carpet. Mm -hmm. That restaurant that they went to that she got humiliated in. Probably all carpet. All carpet. It was all carpet and thick lush carpet it did look thick and lush i will say that's the problem with carpet is that when it's new and thick and lush i like it but you know life happens man um just all the tossing out of the dolls again this movie just showed just the craziness but it never went into like the why Yeah. yeah um I would say, so getting back to the eyebrows, they're so over the top that they don't work. But then also, like, that is the thing that we think about with Joan Crawford. And I was reminded of, remember, well, we haven't done it yet, but when we do What's Love Got to Do With It, like Tina Turner in the 80s, very toned woman, very fit, just fantastically fit. And then you watch Angela Bassett. And you're like, oh my God, look at how ripped she is, her arms. And you're, I remember you said it, Ma. She was like, she got Tina Turner's arms. That's like even how toned she was. But then when you watch Tina Turner from the eighties, you're like, yeah, Tina Turner was like fit and and in shape. But her arms (laughs) weren't what Angela Bassett had. But it's how our mind Mm
2: -hmm. like
0: right seizes on like, oh, Tina Turner was fit. And then when the movie happens, it yeah, it makes it outsized and uh, exaggerated. Uh because like that's what we remember. The rare steak, um, just I had a parent one parent who loved their steak rare and one who loved it well done. And growing up, I picked the well done <gasps> camp because the rare was just ra- But remember I always tried it. I always tasted it, Ma. So But I never made you eat it my way. No, but I could have. I could have if I needed to, and as I've grown up, I've matured and I've made strides, and I'm now a medium, medium well person. <laughs> so maybe when you get 50, you'll you'll be a
2: me medium person.
0: I'll just be like, just give it to me off the bone.
2: <laughs> no, you um, won't ever be that way.
0: And finally, bearing walls—they're called. They're load-bearing walls, Joan. They're they're bearing the load. You right can't now. just put a window in it, Joan. They're kind of important.
2: So we're to positive reheatables, and I got to say there aren't a lot in this. Oh. But I did enjoy Christina being the bartender for her uncle <laughs>
0: <laughs> and her mom.
2: Yeah. And that little Christina reminded me of sort of what I looked like at that age. So I was kind of putting myself into that.
0: Do you remember when I, you didn't have me make alcoholic drinks for you until I became of age. But when I was a little kid, you would make me make you, make. I said that wrong, you would have me make you iced tea. Yeah, and oh, I yes. would always, I would always try to overdo it with the lemon, and I could never overdo it with the lemon. You were always like, "Oh my gosh, you make the best," and I'm like, "I put half a bottle of lemon <laughs> juice in that. That is nothing it but would, lemon juice, lady. You would try, It would. Yeah. Because I was hoping I was like, maybe if I make it so bad and so lemony, they'd <laughs> ever ask, ask me again. And you were like. This
2: is so delicious. I remember one time in Bad Kreuznach, we were uh, the women were sitting out in front of our apartment complex, and and one of the women needed ice, and this woman was a germaphobe, such a germaphobe, and I asked you to bring ice, and you brought it out in your bare hands. <laughs> and she took it from you, that which was the hugest compliment
0: that she could give you because she was such a germaphobe. I was so dirty back then, too. <laughs> if I was in her shoes now, I'd be like, I'm good. Ah, I'm good. It was so funny to see her go, okay, I, I can do
2: this. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, I really liked Joan Crawford's bedroom. Oh. She was using a selfie light before selfie lights existed for her makeup. Yes, she was. Mm-hmm.
2: The ice bath for your face.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Is that what
0: Paul Newman does?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, only he stuck his head in just ice,
0: but she added something to it. She added what I use as an astringent. Oh. It's not alcohol. She added witch hazel. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. And that's to what take I the used. swelling down, right? <laughs>
1: I don't know, but it yeah. Like, so I mean, I, it's, it's kind of like a comeback on TikTok right now.
0: Ah, soaking
1: uh, your um for swelling, headaches, hangovers.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, my problem is is that that's a lot of ice, and as I've mentioned before, we are in a water <laughs> shortage here. And then secondly, like that's a lot of witch hazel that you're going through, and like I go to Target every two months, so I I just can't keep up with this. Yeah, Yeah, well, I don't mind mind wasting the water, um,
1: but as someone with only ice trays and not an ice maker, that is very hard to keep up with the ice.
2: Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. So does that look like a little freezer she had there that I'm sure Carol Ann put the ice in there in the morning before she got to it, but. It would have to be. And then I'm like, well, she could use the melted ice to water her plants, but it had witch hazel in it, so that's probably not a good idea. She might drink it. <laughs> I saw a woman the
1: other day, and she um, uses her dirty laundry water to water her plants, but only the plants mm-hmm. that are in... Um, and pots because then the laundry water the fibers the microfibers and stuff don't go into the water to pollute the ocean
2: oh wow very well i mean
1: a lot of work i'll never do it but yeah i mean that would require having a washer and dryer yeah um taking the rest of presents for donations that was nice it was but a bit
2: much i mean let her keep let her keep four
0: you know, mm-hmm. only yeah. one. Oh, yeah, terrible. terrible. Yeah, and she was really strict with the, because the guy came through with, a, hey, oh, here's this jewelry that I got you. And she's like, but I have a doll and I can only pick one. And it was a whole thing to be like, oh, fine, I guess you can have, and like, he even like saw, like, all right, well, I'll just take this and tell, and then I'll give it to you like later. Exactly. So your one. Exactly. This lady. It's still yours, but yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote, nobody's a winner. Nobody, yeah. Nobody was a winner.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just that's a, not everyone's a winner. That's a good thing to keep in mind in life. Uh, <laughs> that, and, is
0: that is a Tim special.
1: Yeah. And then the blue tile bathroom was very nice. I, I like know. the blue tile bathroom.
0: And it looked like they were
1: using Bon Ami or something similar to clean mm-hmm. the bathroom. And I love that stuff. Oh, my God. You want your place spick and span? That's the way to do it.
0: Oh, That'll really? make your
1: kitchen, your kitchen sink shining,
0: shimmering I'm, I'm awesome. to get me
1: some bone on me.
0: I use bartender's helper in the kitchen, and then for my floor Basically stuff, that. it's uh, it's just uh, old Clorox. <laughs> I'm just a uh, straight bleach. Yes. Love that smell. Probably gonna ooh. kill me, but I'm just like, ooh, this is clean.
2: And you have no nasal hairs at all, do you? None. <laughs>
0: None. <laughs> oh, wait, are- the tile. Ma, why did the, t- like, that bathroom, and no, it wasn't, like, the color, but, like, the tile, that reminded me of Grammy's, the bathroom in Grammy's house, somehow. Was it really tiley? Like, I know it was, like, smaller, but did it have, like, yellow tile instead? Well, there was, there were- a, when, before you were
2: born, the tile was, gray and burgundy and then grammy painted it orange ah
0: orange very orange orange very orange so it was, it was tile, bright colored tile. That must yeah. have been what was speaking yeah. to. Because I was like, there's a familiarity I feel to this, and I can't pinpoint it. Yeah, of it a was of tile. No, the
2: entire thing was tile. Not just like the bathtub area. No, it like, was all tile. walls, yeah, everything yeah. was tiled.
0: Okay, so I have for my positive reheatables, hey, Joan and I wake up at the same time
2: and i went dang that is early
0: i wow. was kind of like it's a little too light like where is she right by a street light like what's going on here and i was then because of the time change i was all like what time oh we're like near christmas and it's still dark when she's going out what is she is this her whole routine take an hour because yeah so i kind of i got sucked. i feel like that. her routine did
2: take an hour actually Because, like, with the time change and
0: stuff, it's, like, the sun comes up rather early, earlier than you might think. So, it's, like, 622, but, hey, people have different things. And it's a movie, Erin, jeez. I do bet that the hot face wash and then the bucket of ice and witch hazel probably feels amazing.
2: But I do remember back in the... maybe, uh, late eighties, early nineties. No, we came here. Okay. So in the eighties time frame, I remember there was a TV show. It was a talk show, blada, blada, some dude who was into be- the beauty industry. Anyway, one, this one, um, actress, I think she was a Charlie's angel or she was in, um, jack and and chrissy snow and three's company three's company maybe she became one of those girls and so she came in to do her morning routine and she did the ice bath after washing her face and he said no 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 that's too big of a con that's too much of a stress on your skin that you go from warm to that much cool
0: yeah, but this was, like, in the uh, 70s. So. And
2: I'm going, it did not hurt Paul Newman one tiny bit.
0: Well, do you but, know when
1: he did it? Did he do it right after watching his face?
0: Well, no, he... Paul Newman, it turns out, I think, that we can say, he was a functioning, functioning alcoholic. alcoholic. <laughs> so, he was, was for hangovers. A, yeah, even yeah. When, when he woke up to Because he'd combat. be all
2: swollen, and then he'd do that. Yeah. So, he probably went from... But they uh, room temperature to ice bath.
0: But peep, but that's a whole thing. You like should ice, do
1: well, you should wash your face, but I wash my face with cold water or room temperature water. And then after you're washed up, then you can ice your face and then follow up with your serums, moisturizer, and SPF. Oh that's what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yeah, probably it.
0: Oh, I just don't do the I, I let the, you know what I let do the ice? The cold Southern California mornings. It's been in the 40s lately. Yes, okay. And you
2: know what? We're giving it to you. That is chilly. um,
0: My final positive reheatable is, uh, so, I mean, that adoption agency that denied her. I mean. Yeah. 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 Here's the thing. Like, did they, den- is this one of those, the bro- the broken clock being right twice a day thing? Yeah. Like, was she denied because it's like, oh, you're a single woman. You're denied. Or were they like, yo, you're like, you've been through a lot of trauma in your life that you haven't really dealt with. We don't really, we think you need to work through some things before we give you children. Yeah. I, I feel like it was the, a- no, you're a woman and you're not married. So you're yeah, denied. Exactly. <laughs> and who is going to
2: take care of the baby? Cause you're a working woman. And your hours are, are not like regular work hours. So who's going to be there to take care of the baby?
0: I wondered that when they had, cause she had the housekeeper and then she came home with the baby, like, did she have the talk with that? Cause if I was a housekeeper, oh, I'd be like, no. Oh, so now I'm the name. Like this yes. is now my kid. Awesome. Right. right. Great. I'm, I'm doing diapers. Got this it. bitch. Right. Are you going to pay me more? No, I get paid the same.
2: So we're to quotables, and there were so many that I actually had to, like, knock down all of my quotables. Yeah, there were so many. Uh, In the very beginning, she's saying to her uh, rich lawyer boyfriend, you know what's missing in my life? And he goes, a hit movie?
0: I had so many zingers for her.
2: You're too vain to be
0: pregnant. I had that. Mm. Ouch. How dare you? I, I mean, how dare anyone say that? But a man to
2: tell me yeah. that?
0: Like, you have any idea?
2: Joan Crawford says, you guys in Hollywood, all you think about are deals and box office. Why don't you try to understand a woman? Mm. Yeah, that was never That'll in
0: Laugh this lady.
2: Uh, so she's drinking a lot. And this same boyfriend goes, when you were a kid, that made you look sexy. Now it just makes you look drunk. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have a drink on that one.
0: Uh, (laughs) Everybody.
2: And this was the line that I thought so many times throughout this movie. Get up. There's no camera in here. I felt like she was being the overly dramatic person the entire time. Which one? Oh, oh, oh. right. <laughs> and we'll get into that more. Uh, and then the little the little Christina goes. If she doesn't like you, she can make you disappear. Oh, uh, LB said to her. Listen with your ears, not your pride. Oh, yeah. That's a good one for everybody to just kind of chant a little bit. <laughs> Tina, bring me the axe. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this can't be good. No. And of course, no wire hangers, which
0: wasn't uh, in the book. That wasn't in the book. But I do think that it's odd that after... We saw this movie, like, before we saw this movie, all we had in our house was wire hangers. That's all the crest, uh, what's it, crest cleaners, cleaners just all wire hangers. (laughs) We watched this movie in the late 90s, probably like the 20th anniversary, I feel like, because I was in high school when I I watched it, and all of a sudden, wire hangers start to be phased out of the Bush family closets. Well, people...
2: You know who, she's got doing. a point. <laughs> yeah, because wire hangers aren't really good for your clothes. And
1: I have a point. She's spending three hundred dollars on all those little kid dresses. Right. And she, all of my, I like. I don't personally like wire hangers. I prefer a nice wood hanger. Um, and oh. all of my nice, but you know, it's that's an expense I've never committed to is changing all my hangers over. Mm-hmm. But I do have to make sure all of my nice stuff is on wooden. My exactly. Wooden jeans.
2: Or or the velour hangers. I got into mm-hmm. the velour hangers. Really? Uh, now, I will tell you, when Manziel and Liz Bush moved from...
0: All right, third person.
2: <laughs> moved from Indianapolis to Germany. And we we couldn't get our household goods. We couldn't get our household goods. They didn't know where our household goods were. They were in a crate that hadn't been properly sealed. Now, at that time, they would take all your all your clothes on whatever, whatever hangers you had, put them in a cardboard wardrobe, seal that up, put it in a crate, and send it across the ocean to you. Our crate wasn't properly sealed, yes. so our clothes had rust stains from the wire hangers, and which caused the army to stop letting them do the wardrobe things. Everything had to come off of the wire hangers because they had to pay us like three cents for every piece of clothing, but because the wire hangers rusted. So you're welcome with that.
0: So it was the United States Army that was really no wire hangers.
2: No wire hangers after this. Exactly.
0: We everything, everything oh my gosh, ma, what if it was the wire hangers that started the people, they were crunching numbers, and they're like, we gotta come up with a way to pay, we have to pay out all of these things, where can we find money? Oh, we'll steal it from the foster kids. There you go, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Because we have to give
2: her three cents for every piece of clothing that's ruined, and the and then you had to prove what your clothes were worth. And they gave you a Montgomery ward catalog and a um, JCPenney catalog. Oh. And you could say my shirt would be worth because, this. Yeah. Because they're like, we know what we're paying your husband. <laughs> it's... So obviously you weren't shopping at Macy's then were you?
0: And we all know it's the late eight, it's the late seventies, early eighties. It's all polyester, some poly blend synthetic. <laughs> Okay, um, okay, those were my,
2: wait, did I do the, I fix all my uncle's drinks this way? Oh. No. Yeah. Okay, that's my last one. <laughs> Other
1: questions? Um, I have, when you polish the floor, you have to move the tree. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all.
0: Mm, that <laughs> cuts a little close to home. And then, I'm not mad at you, I'm mad at the dirt. Mm. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at filling the blank. Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, this is after they said you're too vain to be pregnant.
0: She said, I would I could be a mother and a father. (laughs) What which? I mean, there's plenty of of women who do that.
1: Yeah. Um, life goes by too damn fast. You gotta know how to compete and win. Uh Nobody ever said life was fair, Tina. I'm bigger and I'm faster and I will beat you. <laughs> <laughs> Every, Every time. time that reminded me of my dad playing checkers with me.
0: But that's how but that also goes into the thing that this movie lacked, is because that's the whole reason that Joan Crawford became who she is, is because she was super competitive. Competitive with Norma Shear. Competitive with Betty Davis. Like mm-hmm. that was the thing. And she was, she saw that in Christina and was like, God damn, everything is such a competition with you. And it's these two women who just would not back down. And you're mm-hmm. just like, yo, y- y'all are just oil and water, man. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. I don't, I think this is just the way that she said it. Why are you always looking at yourself in the mirror? I don't think it has the same effect
2: yeah, because yeah. as she's looking in the mirror at herself saying that to Christina, yeah. why are you always looking in the mirror as she's looking in the mirror? And then when Christina
1: when Christina's like in the bathroom after she'd thrown Bonami everywhere and like <laughs> she's like, clean it up. And she was like, How? And then the and then Joan left and she, Christina just goes
0: jesus christ that was my favorite line <laughs> of the film yeah, like, she, yeah. Is, she was such a little kid but in that moment she was just such a little adult and how yeah that, i was scared for her as an actress of the child actress of like i was too is she oh, okay yeah. I like, i don't yeah. know just in wikipedia she went on to do other things but this like that seemed like a traumatic and because of like how she Delivered that line, it made me laugh, but also yeah. it was like so uncomfortable yeah. because she was just like Jesus, Christ. and it has tears <laughs> in her eyes. She yes. seemed like a like she seemed like a fifty year old woman that had been working at the DMV for twenty years. Exactly. And then
1: obviously no wire hangers, but almost my favorite line might have been, "Don't fuck with me, fellas. This ain't my first time at the rode- rodeo." <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, man, you got all of mine. The only one that you didn't get between the two of you was, um, so Joan gives. I guess the, that the first dude who was like, "You're too vain to be pregnant." That guy, mm-hmm. he was drinking whiskey, and she made a comment about like, "They're coming, like the agency's coming over. I don't want them to smell whiskey on your breath." And just the way he was like, "Damn it, Joan!" That <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh man."
2: That's why so. she drank vodka. Okay, <clears throat> LVP. Crazy begets crazy. Like Christina is not her kin is not doesn't have any DNA shared with her, but she made Christina in into crazy. Because I mean, I I, lo- I would look at Christina. And the times that she would stand up to Joan, it would be like, you know, you could just back down and not go into the crazy situation you know is coming. But you have enough crazy in you to say, I'm going to stand my ground here. That little girl, some of her expressions were frightening mm-hmm. when it was, no. uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm standing up to you right now. Yeah. Oh, little girl, you're gonna get so hurt. Oh, man. Uh, yeah.
1: I had similarly, I just had um child abuse. Yes. Mm. Yes. I don't know, especially when you go out of your way to get children.
0: Like yes. It's one
1: thing to like, not that it's better to abuse your own child, but like, you, like really, you like went out of your way to Adopt children, and then you're gonna abuse
0: them. Yeah. I've like similarly with all of you, mine was both of them was Joan and Christina Crawford. Because yeah. hurt hurt people hurt people. Yes. And it just seemed like they were too like picture two magnets slowly rotating, mm-hmm. and they would just like sometimes they would attract, but most of the time they just repelled each other yeah, and just hurt exactly. each other. And it was just, it just was obvious to me, like, we don't know either of these women. Like, we don't know, and we're never going to know. Like, only those two really know what how, happened? yeah, like, how much abuse there was, all of that. Yeah, right. It's just, you can just tell that Joan Crawford didn't have the skills to to be a good mother. Like, like not to be a good mother, but it's just like, she was just behind the eight ball in her life experiences. And then she, inst- I, I don't know, like who knows what her intentions were of being a mother. I feel like she wanted to be a mother because she had a hole inside of her and wanted that to fill the hole. And then you're bringing in someone who like Christina, who has been given up for adoption And comes with and like she knew that she was adopted and comes with that baggage right you know like that those issues and joan crawford didn't seem like she was really equipped to take that on because she was just looking for this feel this this like a robot basically to just unconditional love yeah yeah basically like this unconditional love and it's like no that's like that's what that's not really what being a parent is like it There's a part of it, but it's... (laughs) No. Yeah, it's like, no, you got to, like, fix yourself and, like, be confident with yourself, and then it gives this whole dark side to adoption, and it's just tough because there are people who are very well-equipped and know exactly what they're doing and are great adoptive parents, and then there's other people who are just damaged people and hurt people and don't know what they're doing, and... It's just crazy how, like, you just had two people, like, Joan Crawford wasn't the best mom, but I'm like, Tina, Christina seemed like she was probably a really tough child to parent. Like, even if you were a a well-equipped parent and, like, wanted to adopt, like, and then she came in, that she would be a a troubling child that had a lot of issues that would need to be taken care of. And And you
2: can't know, because... That wasn't the situation she was put into.
0: Yeah, so it just seems, and also like we don't know. We're just left with mm-hmm. one side of a thing, and it's probably like the truth is probably somewhere in be- in the middle of oh, all of I'm this, sure. you know. I'm sure, but it seemed like she was
2: adopting right at the time when her career was dropping off.
0: Oh, yeah. I
2: mean, that wasn't optimum timing either. No,
0: I do not think that Joan Crawford went into being a mother with the best of intentions. Like, I don't look, I don't know Sandra Bullock and I don't know Charlize Theron. And I don't know Jamie Lee Curtis. These are three actresses that I know who have adopted children. And I don't I do not know them personally. All I know is from the outside and what you see in the public and what they say and all of that. And that said, from what I see of them, it seems like they are in different mental states Mm -hmm. to be better equipped at being a parent and didn't jump into this as a selfish thing of like, this Mm -hmm. is going to make me feel better. This is going to fix something within me. The publicity is going to be great exactly but I don't know them so maybe right. I'm wrong and like it's the same kind of thing I I just choose to believe that it's a different situation but like with Joan Crawford and stuff there's dude, there is nothing that in her background that makes me think oh yeah oh yeah no yeah It's just like, yo, all that stuff happened to you and it happened to you in a time before like therapy and people talked about trauma Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. And there was there's so much in her life that she needed to unpack and did not And it's just you look at somebody like her and then compare to somebody like a, a Drew Barrymore, you know, who went through a bunch of bullshit. Even at Tatum O'Neal, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like how they talk about things and like, oh, well, because of therapy and this awareness. And it's still a constant struggle for them and, and mm-hmm. this whole thing. And it's like all that happened to that woman back then and had none of the coping mechanisms. So that's just a bad tonic, bad tonic all around.
2: Okay, so now we're to MVP. I have a runner-up. Oh. And maybe it's because I kind of felt like she looked like me as a little girl, but little Christina. I mean, um, when she would be stubborn, man, I thought she was really good. (laughs) So she's my runner-up. But my real uh, MVP is the set designer because it was just eye candy seeing – the The house, the backyard, the cars, the um, whatever restaurant they were in, all of that was eye candy to me. I like the set designers. Did you see the house just sold recently? Oh no. Let me
1: find it. I think it sold for um, in twenty nineteen. Sold for 18.8 million. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It was torn down after selling for 18.8 million. Oh. Mm-hmm. An expansive yeah, yeah. grouping of property along one of the most coveted streets in LA being transformed into a single, nearly three-acre estate for a Hong Kong-based couple. They bought mm-hmm. up a pair of neighboring homes for 36 million and plan on building a 36 foot. 36,000 square foot residence. Wow. Wow. 1930s colonial. <clears throat> it was a backdrop for many scenes
2: and music and movies, sorry. Yeah, and the backyard was, I didn't write it down, something that I knew. Just across the street is the Playboy Mansion.
0: Oh, so, Ma, we've been there. Remember we took the uh-huh. one of those tours? and Because I remember, like, the Playboy Mansion. So it's like uh-huh. that in that area. Beautiful home. Brentwood and such?
1: hmm My MVP was both Faye Dunaway and Mara Hobel, because I thought that they had a very great um, dynamic, and okay. I believed every bit of it. So both of them together are my duo MVP.
0: Okay. I have an honorable mention. It's MVP, but it's really it's an MVP for really being an LVP, but because it's it's basically giving the people what they want, and that's like this movie really leaned in to the roles that Joan Crawford played at the end of her career. Especially yeah, like the axe thing, because we've done we've done three Joan Crawford films. We did Grand Hotel in 1932, and she was a young ingenue. Mm-hmm. And then we've done Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in 62 Mm -hmm. and Straight Jacket in 64. Straight Jacket. And, like, we really enjoyed Straight Jacket, and that's toward the end of her career. And it really leaned – this movie, I thought it really leaned into, like, that – like, what what was it? Psycho Bitty kind of, like, Mm -hmm. we were talking about – and especially because the wire hanger scene she had her face cream on so it made mm-hmm. her face like white right. and and so scary and it was so overly dramatic a lot of the scenes with her were just it seemed like something out of a Joan Crawford overly dramatic film and so it it just felt really easy especially if that's kind of the last time that Americans had seen her it'd right. be like right. oh yeah Joan Crawford is this monster mother right you know, it's just it's yeah just the same. she became it's like, a horror movie icon yeah but well, my real MVP <clears throat> is the same as Christine that would be Faye Dunaway because mm-hmm. she was like by all accounts she was horrible to work with on this film because she pretty much mm-hmm. became possessed but she just looked she looks so much like her that when they had the pictures of her, I couldn't tell which was Faye Dunaway and which was Joan Crawford. And I used to think that
1: Joan Crawford, I didn't know what this movie was about. I thought this was Joan Crawford in the movie.
0: Right? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I saw this movie back when I was in high school, the first time I saw it, and I knew kind of who Joan Crawford was, but I had never seen a Joan Crawford film. So my picturing Joan Crawford was Faye Dunaway. And in my Mm -hmm. mind, it's like, it's been Faye Dunaway. And we're watching this movie older, being older, I'm like, oh, wow. So much of when I picture Joan Crawford, I think I'm really just picturing Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. But there were so many scenes where, like, even though the script didn't go into the why of it, you would see, like, when Christina was sitting at the vanity and we were talking, and she was, like, giving the whole makeup thing. And you see, like, Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford, and you just see all of the emotions go through her face like, oh wow, though she's being like me, oh she's not, and then she just chooses violence like every time. The same with the, the food, like the, you can see in her face, like, oh she's kind of like me, like she's kind of stubborn, and she's like, you see the appreciation, and then like she just chooses violence every time. So mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was just wild that. This movie had this great performance, and yet it didn't really do anything with it. As far as giving a background, it just made her into this caricature of, like, a horror character.
2: Right, right.
0: <clears throat> okay, um,
2: I didn't recast because they had already recasted it, and um, I didn't recast. I didn't recast it either. Neither did I. So where did Tasty? So I had um during the wire scene, Faye Dunaway screamed herself hoarse. Oh my gosh. And, and she called Frank Sinatra for what do I do for my voice now? And he told her things to do to to fix her voice.
0: And she I just read that Frank Sinatra on the line, okay. Well, that goes back to what Ma was saying, I guess, earlier. Yeah. And, but that Frank Sinatra drove her. To his throat doctor. Oh, I didn't have that. I I could have made like an innuendo joke about something to help her throat. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it was Sinatra. Like, Sinatra wasn't going to try that. Come on. (laughs) It
2: took three hours for her hair and makeup every day. Somebody said Mommy Dearest was a term of enslavement. Oh, the children. Um, Christina oh, and I was Christopher. Like,
0: not somebody black.
2: <laughs> but they had to say, Mommy Dearest, you know, like, okay, we are beholden to you. Mm-hmm. Um the Faye Dunaway, cr- the crew hated her. Mm. Betty Davis said she was rude and unbearable, and the costume designer felt that way too. They said The people on this film who had worked with Joan Crawford said she was always a dream to work with.
0: That's what they said. Like Joan Crawford would remember everybody's name on the crew.
2: And she was just lovely. And Faye Dunaway, like, was the beast that became Joan Crawford in this movie. Also, Faye Dunaway claimed to have been haunted by the ghost of her mother during the filming of this movie.
0: Faye Dunaway's mother haunted her? Yes. Because I heard that she also felt the presence of, like, Joan Crawford resting uneasy in her her grave. Damn. Faye Dunaway went through some shit in this movie. Also, well, I'll get to it later. Yeah.
2: Uh, Christina said, my mother didn't deserve uh, Faye Dunaway's performance. It was ludicrous. On phone. Oh, On my phone, I have another quote. (laughs) I read my, I read my, okay, so. Did you make a a note to remind yourself to look at your phone? Yes. I did. (laughs) Are you ready? Dunaway, this is on my phone. Aren't you proud of me? (laughs) Dunaway's portrayal of Joan Crawford is interesting for several reasons. One, because Faye Dunaway wound up playing Joan in a docudrama, which absolutely and permanently destroyed her reputation. Faye Dunaway. Two. Joan's nemesis Betty Davis hated Faye Dunaway, maybe even more than she hated Joan herself. Wow. In a 1988 episode of NBC's The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Johnny asked Bet the guest who was her least favorite person in Hollywood, and she replied, Faye Dunn. Oh, shit. shit. <laughs> and anyone else who sits here will say exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah, what a reputation.
2: The fact that Betty and Faye and not Joan is a small miracle unto itself. Faye is said to have seen this and was disturbed and angry about it, but decided not to take on Betty. Good idea. In some decades long few. That might have been the right choice, seeing how long and bitterly joan fought with betty fought with joan and it would wind up happening to joan in the end
0: hey i heard wow. that like it's famous they had a feud there's a whole television show about it like series about their feud betty davis and joan crawford i heard that like with the book mommy dearest that even betty davis was like yo like we're in a tight feud but that book is too far. Like that wow. is not. The, yeah. Like even Betty Davis was like, "Yo," and Betty Davis had <laughs> threw shade at Christina. She's like, "I don't even remember the daughter's name, but I don't know what she's talking about." And I don't. And I was not that lady's biggest fan at all. And
2: Betty Davis had trouble with her own daughter.
0: <sighs> but you know, they're.
2: I mean, like they're probably they probably hate each other because they were so similar. Um. Anne Bancroft was originally supposed to be the Joan Crawford person. But she, really? quit, she quit because of the hatchet job on Joan Crawford. When she read the finished script, she said, no, I'm not doing this.
0: Because remember, that's a famous story about from whatever happened to Baby Jane, how ba- Betty Davis was nominated. Mm-hmm. And so Joan Crawford went around because all of the other lead actresses were based down on the east coast and she mm-hmm. they were like oh if you know if you can't make it i will accept the award on your behalf your behalf. and exactly. then that way when betty davis didn't win because joan crawford wasn't nominated so then anne bancroft ended up winning for the miracle worker and so then joan crawford got to get up on stage and accept the award on exactly, her behalf. exactly. so then it kind Damn. of makes sense that then anne bancroft would read that and be like i don't want any part like no nah, y'all y'all wild in here
2: the $300 dress that was on the wire hanger in 1946 would have been a $4,356.90 dress in 2020. Yeah, you better
1: put that shit on not a wire hanger. I mean, yeah, because
2: she had a point. She told her she told her once. <laughs> BMC. Faye Dunaway thought she was going to get an Oscar for this portrayal. You thought? I think she deserved it. I thought she was really good though. I mean, I think, I think, you know, I almost wrote down while watching it overacting because she was so, like, every scene was like she was in a movie, not living her own life. So, yeah, okay. I, but I guess
1: that's funny. what I only know about it is like, I've only, before I'd seen it, have seen it portrayed on like, by drag queens and like right. I just expected it to be campy and over the top, but it's it
2: not what you're it, looking for. <laughs> but it's become a drag queen. Yeah, camp. like they love it mm-hmm. because it's so over the top.
0: Well, it's and everything that we talked about in "Death Becomes Her" but of the yeah. show exactly. So, like it's it makes perfect sense.
2: It was a perfect. Movie after death becomes her because yes. mm-hmm. it was all of that, and it showed what happens to older women in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You get dismissed, he wouldn't even walk her to her car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, those
1: you're welcome well for that.
0: Teeny picks bangers, bangers come in all shapes and sizes. Does do, you you want have, do you have any tasty titties? Teeny? I knew that you two would
1: take them away. Yeah. My titties are not tasty for this one. I figured you both would have them, so
0: Well, this won five Razzie Awards. Yeah. Like best worst picture, Faye Dunaway, worst performance. I think worst. Get out of here. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, it was they just disgoriated this film. Wow. Um, But famously harsh film critic Pauline Kael raved about Faye Dunaway's performance said she had reached new heights as an actress and it would I be agree. difficult for her to top <clears throat> and it was it was true um Faye Dunaway has famously been very tight-lipped and refused to really talk about filming of this But one of the quotes that she did make said, quote, it was meant to be a window into a tortured soul, but it was made into camp. And then Faye Dunaway blamed the film for hurting her career. Because as I said, like from 19... Like Bonnie Mm -hmm. and Clyde through this, like she was doing all that. But then you Mm. kind of wonder how many bridges did she burn? Like as her star was going up and like how much hype was she believing into that? But also... The
2: whole crew, the crew was, were all saying she was horrible to work with mm-hmm. the the costume designer
0: said she was horrible to work with and she said like she made it like she was uh in her daniel day lewis bag of just being complete method and she was just mm-hmm. like i was just in this one wo- i was just inhabiting her so that's like from her point of view that's her right. story but then as far as like her blaming the film for hurting her career i would like to point out and this is something that goes into what we did last week with death becomes her that she turned 40 in 1981, Faye Dunaway. Uh And for a very long time in Hollywood, when an actress turned 40, that was your expiration date. So she can say, and it's one of those things where multiple things can be true. Yeah, she went to new heights with this. How is she going to top this? Because she's turning 40. How many roles are there for actresses? to play roles in their and 40s. And she did close-ups when they were
2: doing uh, her makeup where you could see her little fine lines and stuff, which that w- would have been uh, a difficult time because you're just turning 40 and those are showing up.
0: Yeah, I just think it's a it's an interesting thing, like, to blame this on the role, but it's also, like, we'll blame a little bit on Hollywood because you were oh. turning 40, and mm-hmm. they... and. You have this reputation of being difficult, so you know you can't like when you're young in your 20s and you're an ingenue, you can uh-huh. treat people however you want. But that was that was one of the things. The the contrast with Joan Crawford is because she had the scrape and struggle. She was, they say that like with her fans. And they alluded to this in this movie. They made it seem really dark, but apparently Joan Crawford, with her fans, like she wrote back everybody that wrote to her, and she owed because she always knew that the reason that she was who she was was because of her fans. Right. And the people on the crew, she made it a point to know their names and be very respectful, very professional. So she could she could make enemies with other actresses and all of that, but when it came to like the job and being a performer and knowing how to be professional. It's very interesting. Um, I have that. This is also a quote from Faye Dunaway. I know you have a life and you may act many roles, but after mommy dearest, my own personality and the memory of all my other roles got lost along the way in the mind of the public and in many, in the mind of many in Hollywood, it was a performance. That's all it was for better or worse. The roles we play become a part of our persona and the actress and the woman, We are identified with that persona. People thought of me as being like her. And that was the unfortunate reality for me about this project, which I think is like hilarious when you think about it, because that's exactly what she did to Joan Crawford. Yeah. Because the thing that she's complaining about, about being like, I got lost in my role. And now everybody looks at me as Joan Crawford and that. Like that's exactly what happened with the memory of Joan Crawford. Right like now, and and the reason that that she was so over the top and gave such a great performance is because of the roles like *Straight Jacket*. Whatever happened to *Baby Jane*? Where it's it's Joan Crawford being super dramatic. That's what we associate yeah, with Joan Crawford. It's true. It's like that's what we that's what we do. That's why we're the audience is one of the honorary honorary LVPS because like we kind of have. Yeah, We share some of the blame in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Roger Ebert gave it one star. He said, quote, unremittingly depressing, not to any purpose of drama or entertainment, but just to depress. It left me feeling creepy. Mm. And then Gene Siskel, he, he gave it. I forget how many stars he gave it. I think he gave it like two, maybe two and a half. But he said. Mommy Dearest isn't a bad film. It's more an incomplete story because the script doesn't care enough to attempt a thoughtful answer to the most obvious question of all. Why? I yeah. don't think you can show such extraordinary behavior in a film about a famous person and not offer some answers. It's simply not responsible filmmaking, both intellectually and dramatically.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, I wish she
2: that way. Yeah. why was
0: he why was Christopher 2 strapped into the bed like there's just so yeah. many why's that it never answered Um, it was a commercial failure so it grossed 19 million dollars and it had a 10 million dollar budget so that gross is how much it made but remember like there's the distribution there's the you know the advertising and all of that and there's also the crazy Hollywood bookkeeping bet we're like oh yeah because i look at that in my novice of finances i'm like it cost 10 million to make but it made 19 million yeah and it's a failure
2: but sounds that's... like plus nine nine million to me
0: but i guess like because you have to that's your growth so it's like when you get your yeah. Paycheck, that's the gross the and gross. Yeah. yeah they had to take out for a bunch of stuff <laughs> um Biographer Fred Lawrence Giles said Christina started writing the book before her mother's death, and mm-hmm. that's why she's not in the will. Because I don't think I mentioned that. That was one of my. Yeah, she knew she was writing the book. Oh, yeah. okay. And that was kind of one of my negative reheatables was the end, the last scene, because yeah. it's, it's them, it's the executioner of the will, and. Is that what it is? How you say that? The yeah, that person. Executor. Uh,
2: Executor of the will. Not executioner. Executioner. But in this case, it was.
0: Yeah, and he was like basically like you and Christopher Two aren't in the will, and Christopher. And you know why? Christopher Two was yeah, and you know why? Christopher Two was like ah, that's just like Joan always getting the last word, and then it's the creepy shot on a doll, Christina, and she's like, you thought. but does she? Yeah, so yeah. I guess I guess Joan did know that she was writing this book, and that's kind of like, all right, well, you want to write this book, you ought to out my will. But that's like the
2: hard lines. Drop me out of the will, but you don't have to drop my siblings
0: out of the will, you know? But, yeah, but... But the just the, the blackness just rubbed off on it just soiled everyone. <laughs> just, it just soiled everyone that they touched. So it is brought up to me frequently. <laughs> look at me. Look, look at me. The embodiment of wealth you never had. <laughs> <laughs> oh so and then finally, um let's see. Oh, did I did I tell you about So Christopher Christopher 2, remember there was the first Christopher, the birth mom came? Christopher 2 was originally named Philip Terry Jr. And then Philip Terry Sr. broke up with Joan Crawford. And so then she changed. She was like, I can't be reminded of this man who broke up with me. So then she quickly changed the name of Philip Jr. to Christopher. And that's how he became Christopher 2.
2: Because Christopher was... But he wasn't given back to his birth parents, he was sold no. back to his birth parents No, I that heard. was
0: Christopher. One, there's two, right. There right. two babies, so then right. Christopher two wasn't named Christopher. It right. wasn't like with, with Joan had this thing with names where she was just like, Yeah, some, uh, yeah. Well, and then also Joan Crawford put everything in plastic casing like furniture, lampshades, hats, and everything because you're so numb. Uh, uh, obsessive compulsive and then so she had to go through private brokers and stuff and one of the brokers that she went through I think it's the Tennessee Children's Home Society they were that's where she got the twins from they were involved in human trafficking she had to go outside of other means so like when you're saying like oh she sold the kid back or they paid money back like it was just this is this woman is out here wanting babies and getting them. And that goes back. where We were off mic talking about, you were talking about my dad. And he was like, yeah, kids are always getting abducted. You just never heard about it. And I was like, yeah, they just human trafficking, all of this. Like, we hear about it now, but it's always been going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So those are all. Well, this has been... Mommy dearest. A lot to digest this week. I enjoyed though.
0: I did too. Um, and so next week? All right. Well, I have I had a movie I picked out, but then I have two movies. Oh, so do you guys want to pick or should I pick? Uh, I think I'm gonna let you pick. Yeah, go for it. All right, well. I think this makes sense because it we're on a bit of a streak. So if you remember from Death Bonnie Becomes Her. What? Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, but you're close. Oh, shit. It, uh, it is directed by somebody that we mentioned last week. We're supposed to remember last week? Well, I did gush about this person a lot last week. Because they came in wow. for a they came in for a scene and I thought they just. Oh killed oh it. oh! I know I know the dude the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't. It is this? Du- this film is directed by Sidney Pollack. It Sydney came out in 19. 19- we're going to 1975. It's a thriller spy film. It's mm-hmm. been it's it's one of those films that's been on my list for a minute. It actually were we're going to see more of miss dunaway oh i think oh. we're also going to see a One, a robert redford robert redford
2: well. so it's um it's um it's um you mentioned it this film that you i did it, and it's um oh, file not found wait <laughs> it's not the outsiders it's the um it's not the osprey it's it's not the pelican brief it's
0: it is it does have the bird in it yes it does have a bird in it yes condor yes day of the condor three days of the condor three days of the
2: condor
0: it is available on paramount plus
2: oh good okay i did see this when it came out
0: I've always heard good things about this, directed by Cindy Pollack, mm-hmm. one of these nineteen, these classic 1970s uh, spy thrillers. Yeah, I remember it at in 1975 being really good.
2: I probably went in Killeen to that little um, theater that was in a strip mall to see it. Okay, Three Days of the Condor. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. Well done. I hope so. I, I I gotta I gotta keep up with Teeny, and we'll yeah we'll see how you know 1975 is in a 2022 lens, but
0: at the very least we get to see Robert Redford.
2: Robert Redford in his prime, I'm gonna say.
0: I still Some prefer might Paul be... Newman, but yeah, he's not bad. And we we get to get to see a little bit more of of this uh, Faye
2: Dunaway. We're excited for that. Yeah, in a different, yeah, with a different view. Okay, Erin used to take dance classes (laughs) from uh, a woman, Virginia, somebody. You called it ballet. Uh, Okay, she, uh, okay. And I believe... Uh, Well, I was told that Robert Redford was like her her nephew and that sometimes he would just show up to the dance classes. My God, when I heard that, you should have seen me prepping to get ready to go pick up
0: Aaron from (laughs) dance class. Unbelievable. I'm just like, what's on your face? (laughs) I'm ready for my close up. Mister. Who are you (laughs) and
2: why are you looking around so much? (laughs) Never saw him. But there you go. Okay, listeners, we hope you liked Mommy Dearest. It was kind of hocus-pocus, Death Becomes Her, Mommy Dearest, and now Three Days of the Condor. I see it. Wow. I see, yeah. yeah, it makes total sense to me. There you have it. bye, bye.